This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Witching Hour is brought to you by The Tenth Co., creators of science-backed supplements for mothers by a mother. Hello and welcome to Witching Hour, the podcast that looks at what's exciting, delighting, intriguing and frustrating us when it comes to making work, work. I'm Lucinda. And I'm Liz. Obviously, I like to kick things off on a positive. And you've got a lot of I've positives got, today. Oh, I'm happy. so many, many, so many. So many, many <laughs> positives. I'm actually a bit puffed. <laughs> Just <laughs> We do have a child here yeah. with us today as well. I think that's probably adding to your puff. Yeah, outfits. sorry about this. All right, let me collect myself. Serena and Venus Williams are the first black women to become owners of an NFL team, the Miami Dolphins, valued at an impressive $4.6 billion. My favorite thing that I found today was this. Oh, I'm so excited. A 104-year-old woman from the US became the oldest ever skydiver after completing a 4,100-meter jump. And to this, she said, age is just a number. <laughs> the dive lasted for seven minutes. Her textbook landing met with a cheering crowd. It was wonderful up there, she told reporters. The whole thing was delightful, wonderful, couldn't have been better. Wonderful up there, gee, that is not how I'd feel. What an absolute legend. Unbelievable, 104. I could actually see old Margie Clawson doing that, your grandma. Oh, she'd kill it. She'd be good She'd be that. so good. We'll she give her would. another 10 years and we'll send <laughs> her up in the sky. <laughs> Love it. Today, how corporate jargon can obscure reality. Competition watchdog finds childcare less affordable than most OECD countries. Is working from home a disaster waiting to happen for feminism? And your answers to our questions on postnatal depletion. How corporate jargon can obscure reality. This spoke to my heart because sometimes in organisations they use so many acronyms or long words that it baffles me and I sit there thinking, what on earth did you just say? There's no denying that jargon creates confusion, harming productivity. It also harms my heart. I do not want to fucking hear anyone say circle back. I know, but all organisations <laughs> have it, right? Mm. So the ultimate goal of any organisation, I would assume, is to have communication that promotes understanding so that people understand the job at task, what needs to be done, blah, blah, blah. But when a leader uses corporate jargon as a status symbol or a mental shortcut, they're not giving clear instructions to the employees. And as a result, things might get, not get done yes. the way that you assume that they would. Like me, literally, there was a there was an acronym at CA and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about and I don't know why I'm not asking. See, yeah, yeah, exactly. But then if jargon's so annoying, why do we use it? And this is where this report from Euroleadership came in. It said, jargon signals group membership and in some contexts facilitates social bonding. Yes, and it does the opposite though so it's because like a you click. feel a bit left out if you're not a part of it. So if you come into a new organisation, that is so true. I've never thought about it. You're like, I'm a loser. I'm left out. Right. I went from small business to big business. I was like, what are these words that people are saying? Yeah, so this is super fascinating. So a recent research study found that people with low status, so like maybe it's a new employee, someone that's just entered that workforce, are more likely to use jargon to compensate for insecurities. Oh, my God, this is so true. How good is it? Except for me because I'm like just a 
little brat that's like, shut up and stop using these words. Yeah. So in one experiment, researchers scanned the titles of dissertations and master's theses, discovering that authors from lower ranked schools used more jargon than those from prestigious schools. That's really interesting. Do you know what? It's like when you read the novel of an author and you know it's their first book and you know when you're like oh you've overwritten this a bit like this is this is trying a bit too hard Mm. you know when you read books and they're a bit like too over the top yeah that's what this reminds me of and so now what's happened and I've noticed this firsthand myself is instead of jargon just being like acronyms or like little phrases that people use in the workplace it's actually become something that's used for job titles yes which is even more confusing when you're trying to apply for a job so some of the recent uh, job titles that have evolved over the last couple of years are Head of Team Anywhere. What the fuck does that mean? Do not know. Head of Dynamic Work. <laughs> what, like a head of productivity? Like much better. Chief Heart Officer. Oh, wow. And there are also many organisations that have Vibe Officer. Do you Look, think that's probably it, the person sitting at admin that they're like, oh, let's give them a much more exciting name? No, I actually think that's someone quite senior that's there for employee morale. So like yeah. they're the culture. People and culture leader or something. This is what I loved the most. This study had a chart of the worst business buzzwords for men and women. Mm. I want you to guess what the top three were for women. Mm, this is in women. 2022, so last year. Oh, can I guess one for men first? Just because yeah, one yeah, of my, on. I'm just trying to think of my, my female manager was less inclined to use yucky corporate jargon. Okay. But two that come to mind first is let's take this offline. Oh, great one. Oh, that comes in there. That's in there. Yeah. And another one is, um, oh, we're finishing early. So we've got some time back into your day. Okay. So take it offline came in at number two. The word that women hated the most in 2022 was synergy. Oh, that's so funny. So this is what women actually, not that they're saying, what they don't enjoy hearing. What they Sorry, what I the see. worst Oh, so I'm are. bang on then. You bang on. You bang on. <laughs> so number one was synergy. Number two was take it offline. Number three was circle back. Oh, I can't believe I didn't bring up circle back. I hate circle back yep. so much. Number four was think outside the box. And number five was low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit is one of those ones that I had to Google. I was like, what does low-hanging fruit mean in a corporate setting? Yep. And then this is another fascinating thing that I found. For the most commonly used jargon for work harder, number one, we want you to raise the bar. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) Number two, we want to see what you'll bring to the table given more responsibility. That one's a bit, like I can handle that a bit more, but it's annoying. Yeah. Number three, we want to take your career to the next level. Mm. Number four, we're asking for 110%. Oh, don't ask anyone for more than 100%, especially not a parent. I actually do that all the time. I don't ask others, but I always say when people ask me things, I'm like, 110%. Yeah. Like, no, that's what? okay. That's ridiculous. You're just agreeing. And then the last one, which is my personal favorite, we're empowering you. Oh, so you're, under, you're probably underpaying me and over expecting from me. It is so I'm good. now looking at this list that you have added to this production schedule for the first time and I want to call out a few other ones that sure. I love. Digital transformation. Yep. Bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Deep dive. Yep. Agile. 
leverage. Oh, this remi- this gives me goosebumps. It's it reminds so me good. of my old workplace. And then another one that I absolutely love on here is buy-in. Yeah. We want your buy-in. So how do we move the needle on corporate jargon? <laughs> oh. I've been dying to say that a li- the whole episode actually. Um, how do we move the needle? One thing I would say is if you don't understand something, the likelihood is half the other people in the room are also not going to understand it. Just ask the question. Be like, I'm so sorry. I'm obsessed with the idea of someone being like, what do you mean? And then being like, what do I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, like, here's a funny one for you with my dad. So, I, you know, I put like lol in a message. Yeah. Uh, not that it's corporate jargon, yeah. but my dad used to think that meant lots meant of love. Lots of love. <laughs> my mom did so he'd be like, months. lol, dad. I'm like... <laughs> He'd be like, Sienna uh, fell over. Lol, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) So if he just asked, you know, there'd be no ambiguity to it. Asking them to rephrase jargon is what this report said. In concrete language will improve everybody's, including the speaker's, comprehension of the task at hand and in turn productivity will increase. Do you know what I don't think people that love corporate jargon realise as well? You actually sound more dumb using it than you would if you just spoke in layman's terms. Yes, but that's exactly what this research is showing, that people that don't understand something use all of this jargon to package it up and then everyone sits in the room thinking they're idiots. Yeah. When in fact the person – It's true because I feel like an idiot. I I just said like I would feel like, oh, my God, I have no idea what everyone's talking about. Exactly, but the person probably saying it also has no idea. (laughs) So long story short, just cut the crap and speak in layman's terms. Competition Watchdog finds childcare less affordable than most OECD countries. Australian families spent as much as one-sixth, it's a lot, Mm. of their income on childcare last year, with costs far higher than in most other OECD countries. The second interim report from the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission's Childcare Inquiry, whoa, that was a mouthful, (laughs) also found that the system was underpinned by government subsidies that were far too complex for parents to understand. That resonates with me on so many levels. It is beyond confusing. It's so confusing. I don't think anyone has been like, cool, I know exactly how much we're getting back from childcare. Exactly, which is why Lou and I are working on something on the side to help parents navigate, particularly the rebate, but just to understand childcare for the first year of their kiddies' life when they go. So stay tuned for that one. Between 2008 and 2022, an average Australian family with two children under three was spending 16% of its net household annual income on centre-based full-time daycare, the report Mm. found. It's a lot of money. Yeah, it really is. The competition watchdog said this made childcare less affordable for households than in most other OECD countries where the average was 9%, putting Australia 26th out of 32 countries in the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. So if we're 26 out of 32, it's pretty grim. Like That's we're so towards grim. So essentially our disparity between what we earn and what we pay is much lower yes. than everyone else. Basically. Yes. We'll say everyone else than all well, those Well, not other everybody folk. else, but 32 others. Among its draft recommendations, the ACCC proposed the activity test that determines the number of hours of subsidised childcare a family is entitled to should be removed mm. or substantially reconfigured as it may be acting as a barrier to more vulnerable children assessing care and creating a barrier to workforce entry or return for some groups. The more complex it is, the more difficult it is to navigate. Mm. But also the more likely to be like, oh, this is just too hard. 
it's too hard. Like I'm just going to keep my kids at home and I'm not going to bother. I don't understand that and I never can wrap my head around it because in a capitalist society, we want people to work. It's better for our economy. So then why do they put so little into childcare? I also can't understand who wins out of childcare because we're paying a lot. Mm. The average Joe is paying a lot of money for childcare. The rebate covers some but not all by any means. Childcare workers are getting paid peanuts they get paid absolutely yeah, so, nothing so who's winning like, and who who's is it i'm so glad you brought this up because victoria divine who hosts the podcast she's on the money is pregnant and she just wrote a piece for the age about this called why do childcare workers earn so little when childcare is so expensive which is something i always think about but i've never really verbalized i've always yeah. just been like we're all paying a lot of money to send our kids to childcare. I must admit ours, ours isn't too bad at the moment because our household income isn't great at the moment. But it is expensive. Yeah, but it's and all relative, those, Lou. Yeah. Everything is relative. Yeah, but what I'm saying is we get a pretty good subsidy at the yeah. moment because my income's not huge, which is fine. But it's something that I've been thinking about so much. We all pay a lot of money for childcare, yet these educators who – give their heart and souls to our kids and nothing. They're well-educated people. They're caring people. They are literally responsible for the livelihood of our children, yet they're paid nothing. So Victoria Devine says, My husband and I are so excited to be welcoming our first child into our family in February next year. And this week, I started to dive into what our childcare options are. While I've always been privy to the cost, my local centre, for example, charges 194 per day before any subsidies are applied. This week, I was met with the unsettling reality that is not only hard to comprehend, but impossible to justify. Despite the skyrocketing costs of childcare in Australia, the diligent educators responsible for nurturing our children are struggling in a profession that pays them less than workers in the fast food industry. Walking out of my first daycare centre tour, I felt overwhelming guilt knowing the educators who would be looking after my bundle of joy would not be able to afford the same luxury. She's spot on. She says childcare is not a luxury, but you would not be considered a fool to feel as though today it were. The privatisation and commercialisation of this essential service has inadvertently turned it into a perceived luxury, exacerbating accessibility and affordability issues for many families. What should be thought of as an essential service, but yeah. we all consider a luxury. Like you and I are privileged to be able to send our kids to daycare, which is so messed up. Yeah. And I saw a meme about this recently, yeah. which made me laugh, that was like, oh, you're sending your kid to daycare and they're like, oh, sorry, um, just before you go, there's uh, 16 viruses going around today. So, yeah, she's like, oh, okay. Yeah. So and she's like, he's like, oh, looks like your son might have one. Yeah. So you can go home now. She's like, but what about the money I've paid? Yeah. Sorry, you're just yeah. going to have to, like, yeah. it, is, it is a bit crazy. It's an absolute mind game. Victoria Devine ends this piece with, lastly, as a society, we need to reassess and recalibrate how we value the profession of childcare education. It's not merely a service, it's an investment in the future of our children and consequently our nation. The first five years of a child's life are the most pivotal in their development and every early childhood educator knows that. It's why they're so passionate about caring for children and watching them develop. Do you think society's lack of respect for well, we don't have a lack of respect for educators think, obviously I don't know anybody that has a lack yeah. of respect I don't think it's about that yeah. I just think it's there's a massive pay gap between what they're doing and what they're paid yeah but why is that like why is that still a thing oh, 
Like, is I that, mean, it's the same with hospital as in. Yeah, but it seems to be all the service giving. It seems to be all the things that care that, and that exactly. somebody else. So that's what yeah. I was actually going to ask you. I feel like there's this correlation between like mothering, nurturing, mm-hmm. and a lack of value. Never thought about like that, but yeah. that's a very good point. The majority of these educators, Divine says, armed with degrees, diplomas, and certificates, earn between forty-five and sixty-five thousand dollars annually. Yeah, it's so low. It's so low. That's what some people are paying in childcare. Yeah, that's not an exaggeration to say that, is it? Oh, they be wouldn't be far off if yeah. you had them in full time. Higher income earners. If you were having, if you had your child in full time and didn't have a subsidy. I reckon at 194 bucks a day, I reckon that's what you would be paying. You wouldn't be far off. Where does that money go? Yeah, where does it go? But also let's figure out a way to make that subsidy easier to calculate. Let's provide women and families with the tools to make it a step-by-step easy process. Mm. And then at least that way you're more educated before you go in. Because I know for me, like I think it's great that Victoria Divine had this amazing foresight to look into it, but I didn't. Mm. And then actually like when I was scrambling to go back to work, I thought, shit, this is really expensive. And overwhelming. Yeah, and I hadn't factored for it. So Mm. I think if we educate ourselves earlier. And on the educators, I think it's just a great reminder to be really respectful and really show that you value them because – they are basically being told via their salaries that they are working in an industry that is entirely undervalued. Loz, I recently read that postnatal depletion affects over 50% of mothers and the effects of it can last for up to 10 years after giving birth. Gosh, that's a long time. No wonder we're so tired. What many new mothers don't know is that if they don't replete and recover from the early phase of motherhood, They will feel the effects for years to come. I'm 18 months postpartum now and I think postnatal depletion really kicked into gear for me around the six-month mark. When do you think that sense of depletion really began to hit you? I think for me it was later. It was around the eight-month mark. It's such an important topic. When mother and founder of the 10th Co, Frida Algars, completed tests with Dr. Oscar Serilach, her results showed significant depletion in key vitamins and minerals. This led to a whole host of things, digestion challenges, low mood and anxiety, lack of sleep, skin breakouts, and the list goes on. She was so compelled by what she found that she created a supplement with Dr. Serilach that works to relieve fatigue, assist energy production, calm the mind, and support healthy mood balance. What I love about what Frida is doing through the 10th Co is her conversations around the fact that just because postnatal depletion is common, it doesn't mean that it's normal. There are so many things in motherhood and postpartum that we brush to the side because we're busy and we think it's normal, but the 10th Co's message serves as an important reminder to rethink the way we look after ourselves in motherhood. Anything that is intelligently made and serves a purpose for mothers, especially those trying to navigate work alongside their parenting, is a big yes for me. And me. You can shop the 10th Co's top-rated product, Flow State, and learn all about the burnout that led to the creation of this incredible product by visiting thetenthco.com. Listeners of Witching Hour will also receive $15 off using code FEELCALM through Witching Hour at checkout. Working from home is a disaster waiting to happen for feminism. One's entrepreneur who sold her Airbnb rival based on hit film The Holiday I love that movie. Oh, I love that movie for fifty-three too. million dollars. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> In the fast-paced world of modern careers, the question of productivity often takes center stage. I mean, we hear it all the time. Mm. How can we increase productivity? I feel like every organization is mm. chatting about it. However, 
the preeminent women's career network urges women to shift their focus. Mm. So instead of pondering whether working from home enhances productivity, she challenges women to consider how their visibility in the workplace has faded. We're doing it remote work and they're not, she said. So we are women is what Mm. I assume she's referring to and they're not men. Mm. I'm extremely worried that we lose our place in the room. And in that way, we lose our visibility and we lose conversation that becomes even more male-dominated. Oh, fuck, that's such a good point. Yeah. Let's not slip into setting back feminism in the world of work even further. Let's be very careful where the consequences of the pandemic and the desire for flexibility can take us, is what she said. This is a really interesting one. I wholeheartedly agree. I do too. One thing that I was just thinking as a rebuttal, but... It's not something that I'm steadfast on, but I'm thinking to myself, what amount of women and particularly mothers would have just quit though if they couldn't work remotely? So then they're losing their voice even more so. I'd be really interested to see a study on that. Yeah, I do. I That is a very valid mm. point. I agree with that. But I do think there is a lot of benefits, even one day a week of yes. going into the office for that exact reason, just to be in the room and to have that presence because it's very different appearing on Zoom or Teams or whatever you use as opposed to actually face-to-face. Nothing can compare to being in person. I think the key here is that hybrid working model and not overloading ourselves with trying to be in the office too much. But I could not agree more that we need some visibility in the office, even just like water cooler talk. Like if there's just a whole lot of men around and all the women disappear, I agree with her. We're setting back feminism if we're never present. It's just not about being too concerned about being overly present and burning ourselves out. The other key thing here when we're talking about setting back feminism is something that I've noticed hugely. I freelance. That sometimes means being in a studio for recording, but otherwise I'm pretty much at home the whole time. When you are surrounded by your things and the mess at your home, you end up doing more housework. My partner is a builder. He is on site. That is his thing. He needs to be on site. He can't work remotely. He does every now and then, but I'm the one in the home. I'm the mother in the home. And so I end up doing more cleaning. I end up doing more laundry. So it actually has a double negative because you're the one at home. You end up doing more housework. Actually, I was speaking to a girlfriend about this the other day and she was saying like a lot of companies are now enforcing you to work full-time from the office. Don't necessarily agree with that, but I can see why in Mm. some instances. And it's so funny because I think for men, if they were working from home, I don't think there would be a question of like, is he really working from home? Yes. You'd just be like, yeah. Because I'm telling you now, like Ryan ain't going to be doing the laundry on his lunch Mm. break. Yeah. Yeah. But for women, it's like, is she really working? Like it's much more of a question. Or are her kids at her feet? Like, I don't think people would trust us as much in terms of the motherhood piece. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's, it's impossible to work with kids from home. Literally and I do, ag- I do also agree that it would be unusual for a workplace to be like, no stress, work from home, have your kids there. Mm. Like, yeah, the pandemic, everybody had to do that. Yeah. But it's not an ideal way of working. And I do and think it's, it's less effective. Surely your cortisol levels are just at an all-time high. Like, exactly. that can't be good for your mental health. Exactly. So according to the Chartered Management Institute, male managers are significantly more likely to mostly or completely work from the office than their female counterparts. So 48% versus 38%, with women more likely to choose flexible hours or work from home for childcare reasons. It does, I mean, does that statistic strike you as unusual for men? Like, I wonder why they love working from the office and not from home. Well, it's funny that you say that because my third point on this was going to be that I can almost guarantee you 
if you're currently on maternity leave and you're about to return to work for the first time and you're worried about navigating being in the office versus being at home, being at the office is fun. Unless your commute is nuts, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy sometimes being in the office. So that's why men are uh, going into the office. Like Ryan would never choose to work from home. No. He would always want to go into the office. Why would you want to too? If you if kids were around, if I guess if they're in daycare, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want that flexibility? Uh, to be honest, when you've seen your, the all every crevice of your house on Matley, yeah. you yeah. you want to get out. Yeah. You're like, please. That's the thing. It actually get me feels into a new really space. good to be around colleagues. It's also really nice to have adult conversations with people that aren't necessarily your closest friends. True. It's another network. It is. I am all for it and I really think that at least one day a week we need to be showing our faces in office environments. Yeah, so what this article said is there's no black and white answer. However, hybrid working, exactly what you said, looks to be the happy medium to satisfy that desire for work-life balance without risking women's careers. But only if, and I think this is an amazing if, women become intentional about how they use their office days. Yes. So for the days that you're in the office, be seen. Mm. What that means is for the days that you are in the office, organize those meetings with your managers, make sure that you're spending that time focused on seeing people, negotiating, influencing, whatever it might be that's going to help you move the needle. Oh God, don't like do that. it to me. I think that's such great advice because my office was really transient. A lot of us traveled for work a lot. So in fact, a lot of the males that didn't even have kids spent days working at home because they were either on the road for part of the week or they lived a fair way away from the office or they were in a different city to HQ. And I think the key that happened at my old workplace after the pandemic is that there were set days where certain departments would make sure they're in the office. So I think if you can, make sure you're in the office when the colleagues that you need to work with are in yeah. there. That's a great that's a great thing, particularly for team bonding. And, yes. Yeah. And have those it. big meetings, maybe those more complex meetings. Do you think those whips are probably a bit easier? Those weekly whips, say, with your direct report are probably easier to have online, but it's more those I, key meetings. Look, I'm still a big believer that some of the success to careers is who you know and the relationships that you have. And I think it's very difficult to form a deep relationship with somebody completely on Zoom. I think so So too. for the people that you feel like will progress your career or mm. will help you learn and develop, those are the people that I'd be setting meetings with on the days that you're in the office. This week's partner, The Tenth Co, has got us thinking a lot about postnatal depletion lately. So as per usual, I took it to the polls. I took it to the streets. The Love streets it. being the streets Instagram. of Melbourne <laughs> and <laughs> the Sydney. The streets and being the digital ones yeah. on my phone. <laughs> nice. So what percentage of our pollers do you think experienced symptoms of burnout, postnatal depletion, oh, exhaustion? A lot, a lot, 99%. 85 said yes, like definitely felt it. Yep. 13% said sort of mm-hmm. and only 2% said no. So you're pretty much bang on. If we include somewhat and yes, that takes us to 98%. 98% of us are feeling like shit. Yeah, but I like that doesn't surprise me. I think that the thing that I think is more common now is the word depleted though. So mm. like when I had my first child, Sienna, I felt exhausted, groggy, hungover, I'd say, without drinking, yes. you know, that feeling. Yeah. But I wouldn't have said depleted because mm. I, I just don't think it was. Yeah, it's almost like actually validating how you're feeling. Yeah. Because you have just done something pretty huge by growing and birthing a human. Exactly. But it's like, oh, I'm not just tired. 
Yeah, that's what I mean. I am it's, depleted. Yeah, but that's yes. an, I feel like that's a reasonably new word. Yes, I agree. And it does, yeah, it definitely validates the feeling. Exactly. So I said, if yes, what was the most obvious symptom for you? Was it fatigue, irregular moods, stress or all of the above? What do you think was the most common answer? Oh, is it all of the above? Yeah. Because I would always pick that. Yeah, I think that was definitely – stress was definitely the least, which I'm really happy to see yep. because you don't need that on top of everything else that you're going through postpartum. Yes. Fatigue was the second highest. Irregular moods was the third most, which is probably what I would guess. I well, your hormones are raging. Exactly. You've got a lot going on. All right, this is a good one. I also asked when they felt at their most tired or depleted. Yep. Do you think zero to six months postpartum, six to 12 months, 12 to 18 months or 18 months plus? Six to 12. Only I'm only saying that because that's what I, that's yes, when I over, felt it. Over half of people feel it then. And that's exactly what I said too. I think it started yeah. for me around six and around eight, which is what you said as yeah, well, yeah. is when you're like, oh, well, do you oh, know, oh, this is, this is, this is staying around. Yeah, but do you know why? <laughs> I think for the first four months, like it's just so frigging exciting. Yes. But also, you know, to expect the worst then. Like, because yeah, everyone told, tells you, oh, you're all gonna be the exhausted. Time. You're just going to get through those first yeah. six weeks. Exactly. But then, I, I, after their six months, I think you're like, fucking yeah. And everyone like, disappears. Yeah. Like, Where's like, the fucking yeah. <laughs> And then also, that's kind of the time that you are thinking, like, all right, when do I return to work? What's my plan? Blah, blah, blah. So, innately like those little stresses start to creep in you're like shit I need a schedule I need this not everybody but I was more inclined to be like that. yeah that's so so true your head's starting to enter a different place but still you have a very young baby that's probably waking during the night and you did give birth yeah exactly I was no I won't actually give you this clue I'm just going to go into it yeah I then asked did you seek the guidance of a health practitioner to help improve any of sleep fatigue mood stress burnout no what percentage of people do you think sought help oh Barely any. I thought that was going to be the answer. Forty-three percent of mothers are seeking help, which I'm really proud of and happy to see. I want to see that move up. But I thought the same. I thought people would be like, you know, they're either feeling guilty about spending money or they can't yeah. quite navigate getting out of the house because there's already so much going on. But nearly half of that's our pretty amazing. Yeah, that's good. That's showing some initiative, and I bet you that's picked up in the last five years since this postpartum conversation. And even as you're saying, giving validation to words like depletion yep. has risen. I also think that there are supplements now, and full transparency, I started taking the Tenth Co a couple of months ago. Have noticed a massive difference, hand on heart. The reason why. I think people have started to invest more in that Mm. is because previously I would have gone to a myotherapist Mm. and taken fish oil and vitamin C and folate and like 85 different horse capsules and it was impossible and I ended up being like, oh, stuff that, I can't be bothered. It's too much. It is. Whereas what I do think is good about these supplements is that it's just one and you do actually notice a difference. Yes. How long do you think postnatal depletion can last? Up to one year, up to two years, up to five years or up to 10 years? Oh, God, surely not 10. That's freaking depressing. Up to 10 years. Nah. Yes. No. Yeah. Jesus Christ. There's bloody science behind it, duh. It's a long time. It's a long time. And it goes to show why it's so important that we have words like depletion to explain how we're feeling so that we don't just keep running the rat race. Yeah. Last thing I did for the benefit of anyone that might be pregnant now that's about to do it for the first time, even the second time, is did you do anything else in particular that helped? Here's some of my favorite answers. Mm Mm-hmm. Started to ask for help with things, delegate some tasks to my partner. Sleep trained my child and got her on a magnesium supplement. 
I've never heard of that. Interesting. I've never heard of that either. Do you know what? I did actually use a magnesium spray. Yeah. Um, Brillo. For you or for? No, no, no. For me when I was pregnant, Brillo actually has an excellent one. Yeah. Um, It was amazing. It was a life changer for me. Really? And did it help you sleep? It helped me. Yeah, it definitely helped me sleep. But to be honest, what it did is, you know, when you're pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly, you yeah. got a kid. Um, and I've got one in my bloody yeah, tummy. Yeah, but you get a bit of achy and painy okay. and you get itchy legs. Did you ever have itchy legs before bed? I don't remember. Oh, not itchy I legs? everything. Oh, my God, not itchy oh, legs, restless, restless legs. legs. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, itchy. No, no, no. So I use this spray. People do get itchy tummies, to be fair to you. Yeah, so yeah I use this spray and it was yeah. excellent. It okay. is amazing. So that's a great tip. That's a free plug. Get on it. This is another really good one. Biggest thing for me is sunshine and moving my body, even if I don't want to. So it doesn't have to be much, but you know, when you're feeling really lethargic and you don't want to do anything, my version, my version of that would sometimes be even just going to the dog beach with my husband when he'd take Louie and just having Ray in the carrier in those early days. And I'd just lay or sit there I wouldn't even necessarily move my um (laughs) my version of that would be sitting in the car in silence I'm just downing a donut (laughs) that sounds yeah that's very maybe probably not a donut actually no I said it I've got a bit of hankering for one no eat a donut why not I'm sure that's great for your postnatal (laughs) depletion (laughs) sugar 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 (laughs) another really big one that I've heard from naturopaths and nutritionists is going to the GP for a full blood count So this person discovered that their hormones were imbalanced. They were low on vitamin D and low on iron, which had a huge impact on their fatigue and their mood. So that's another big thing. I know Vaughn Geary in our episode on Ready or Not with Jessica Prescott and Vaughn Geary from Mama Goodness said make sure you get your bloods done, which I think is a huge one. You've just done this huge Yeah, but thing. if you're like me and you hate needles, I feel like that's just more traumatizing. What is wrong with your family and needles? I don't know. I this can't is, do that. This runs cousin deep. Yeah, I know. If, if it everyone's makes me actually for the sweat first time, thinking about it. My husband is Loz's cousin and I'll tell you what, I've never been so turned off Hayden when I saw him with a little splinter in his hand and the way he reacted to it. Your nanny actually got it out for him. Yeah, I, I got Pathetic. stung by a bee in my toe when I fainted. I don't know what it is. You're terrible, all of you. It's bad. And I think this last one, which goes back to the idea of validation, is talk about it with other mums. Felt less alone and less like I should have my shit all together when I realised that it was normal. Yeah. So well, that's how people bond. Exactly. So it's going, okay, this is normal, but what am I going to do about it? Not going, this is normal, but let's just like feel like shit for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, spot on. Give me some Give me, me some tips. <laughs> Tell, tell me what's good. <laughs> All right. So jargon aside, I know we're talking about jargon. Actually, here's a funny one for you. It's pronounced jargon. <laughs> Before we started recording, I go to yours. I go to yours. I just said I go to yours. I go to Loz. Uh, is it jargon or yagon? <laughs> I thought Lizzie was genuinely joking. She asked me if I was joking five times. I was not joking. All right. So jargon aside. I think one thing, and I'm obviously, I do it, but I think it's important as women to stop the phrases like, I'm sorry, but, or mm. I'm just, or don't mean to interrupt. this doesn't make sense. Yeah. I saw a great meme that was like, no one no one makes more sense than the woman that sends an email saying, let me know if this doesn't make sense. It, it, well, it's spot on. Yes. I think we need to, as a collective, stop saying phrases like that. If you've got a question, just be direct in it. I say sorry it. to be a pain in so many emails. And, and it's it painful to hear. Me. It's like... Just yeah. ditch that from the sentence and yeah. be like, hey, You're could annoying. you blah, 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 blah. So that's my tip for the week. Be direct and unapologetic.
My tip is to stay tuned for something that we're working on that we'll be releasing soon. Oh, it's bloody good. It's bloody good. I'm that excited. I am that excited. I can't tell you anymore. The PR team has sworn me to secrecy. (laughs) The PR team being, was it mine? (laughs) Uh, But stay tuned. It's coming soon. Loz, that wraps the show for this week. As always, if you have loved listening to today's episode, make sure that you follow us on radionot.pod and leave us a review. Five stars. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to know. <laughs> that was so weird. I think you have to, otherwise it sounds <laughs> odd. <laughs>